Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of October 3rd through October 5th, 2020. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing out there okay, but... I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Things are pretty bad out there for the box office industry. Uh, if the first wave of delays earlier this year were back in March when the virus first broke out, and the second wave of, del- of delays was when Tenet moved from summer to an August release date, uh, and uh, the third wave of delays are in full force this week. Uh, the f- beginning of that third wave arguably was back when Wonder Woman pushed back to Christmas, as well as you know Marvel delaying to 2021 um, with Black Widow. Though you know whether that the end of the second wave or the start of the third wave. It's really splitting hairs. Uh, point is, uh, s- stuff is uh, moving around and I'm going to do my best to recap it for all of you out there. So the domino, in my opinion, that started off the recent chain of, of effect of delays is the fact that the United Kingdom and European Union are currently going through a second wave of the coronavirus without any sign of it peaking anytime soon. Uh, this was somewhat expected as colder weather rolls in leading to a second wave of the coronavirus, uh, and there are new social distancing restrictions in place within the UK as a result. Um, and so, MGM and Universal have decided to delay the James Bond film No Time to Die from November 20th, 2020 to April 2nd, 2021. Uh, with the UK being Bond's largest market outside of the United States, and in the same way that you know studios don't want to release films without the US, Bond definitely won't be releasing without the UK being in place. Um, sorry, Billie Eilish, you're going to have to wait for your nomination for Best Original Song to next award season. Uh, rumors are saying that MGM was wanting an early release, but Universal ultimately had the final say and pulled the trigger here. As usual, such a big move leads to some further delays. Uh, Universal's Fast 9 uh, in the Fast and the Furious franchise, uh, which moved initially a full calendar year from you know, uh, May, June 2020 to 2021 immediately, uh, instead of, you know, doing it a couple months at a time, uh, moved from that uh, April 2nd date uh, to May 29th, 2021. Uh, it was Memorial Day weekend, one week after Warner Brothers' Godzilla vs. Kong film, which apparently is completed editing and just waiting to release. Um, this also has... Uh, Bond competing against Disney's live-action uh, Cruella film starring Emma Stone, which I don't think will be too much competition for them if they assume they release on the same date still. So, look back to this year, though. Uh, with No Time to Die gone, the only major theatrical releases left are Pixar's Soul on November 20th, DreamWorks' animated film Crudes 2 on November 25th, Disney's Nomadland uh, on December 4th, though that's really a more awards film than a major tentpole release. Uh, Fox's, uh, or Disney, I guess, Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds uh, premiering December 11th, Disney's Death on the Nile and Paramount's Coming to America sequel on December 18th. Uh, we'll talk about two doing a little bit. They were originally on this day as well. And then Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas. Uh, we did also get news yesterday that Sony's adaptation of the video game franchise Monster Hunter, directed by Resident Evil director Paul W.S. Anderson and starring Mila Jovovich, uh, will be moving from April 23rd to 2021 up to December 30th uh, this year. I suspect that's largely more to 
deal with the Chinese market and international markets versus the US them having faith in the US domestic market. Kind of similar to that Warcraft movie several years back. Uh, for comparison, uh, Paul Anderson's most recent film, the Resident Evil uh, franchise, made only 26 million US in the US, but 287 million dollars abroad last 2017. 161 million of that was in China. Again, more on China next later in this episode. Uh, anyway, Monster Hunter does take the date of Sony's Escape Room 2, uh, which is, again, that December 30th release date, and Escape Room 2 is currently undated for December 20, or for sometime in 2021. Now, anyway, with that very slim domestic release schedule, outside of, you know, a bunch of indie films, which aren't going to keep the box office uh, afloat, and given the general lack of domestic consumer desire to go to a physical movie theater, movie theaters are now going to make moves to close and southern operations either completely or at least on a part-time basis. It simply doesn't make sense for them to keep the lights on if there aren't any new films for consumers to watch. Uh, most notably, Cineworld, the UK-based exhibitor company that runs real entertainment in the United States, and Cineworld in the United Kingdom are closing all operations as of October 8th, this coming Thursday. Uh, as a reminder, they are the second-largest movie theater chain here in the U.S. behind AMC, and the second-largest globally when you look at all countries I believe only behind the Wanda company, I think, uh, or some uh, some Chinese company um, that obviously has a ton of movie theaters in China. Um, this affects about 45,000 employees between the two countries, about 5,000 in uh, the UK, Ireland, that they are being indefinitely laid off. There is no set date on when they will return, be it for Seoul in December, in uh, Thanksgiving or Wonder Woman around Christmas time. Uh, one commenter on Reddit who seems to work at AMC has reported that lower-performing AMC theaters will begin to be closed at least on the weekdays uh, and op- operating only on the weekends, Friday through Sunday, uh, for the foreseeable future beginning this week. Um, the S&P rating agency has reduced AMC's credit ratings uh, with the information that the cast that they have on hand will only be able to keep them going for another six months or so um, you know, before they face bankruptcy. Across the pond, Odeon Cinemas, who are owned by AMC Entertainment, are also moving to weekends only. So the last three of the last of the big three domestic movie theaters chains, Cinemark, however, said they are planning on staying open with 80% of their theaters remaining open at this point. It is worth noting that they have been a little bit better structured, you know, financially wise, uh, with a lot less debt. Um, and also, Cinemark does not have any New York City theaters. Um, Regal Cinemas has put the blame on their decision to close uh, on Governor Andrew Cuomo not allowing New York theaters, a key market for for movies, to reopen. Um, it's uncertain whether or not Universal's decision to move Bond was affected by Cuomo's firm stance on not yet reopening movie theaters in the state, but exhibitors at least seem to think so. Um, as a New Yorker, while it's definitely frustrating that Cuomo has allowed for businesses like gyms and casinos and 25% indoor dining to, to start up again, but not movie theaters, um, given the rising case counts, particularly in Queens and Brooklyn, uh, we're seeing case counts up to 4% positive test rates as opposed to the 1% for the past couple of months, um, this kind of makes sense. Again, hope everyone's wearing their mask uh, if you're going out there and, and socially distancing. Uh, there are rumors that the AMC Universal theatrical window deal that happened earlier this summer um, is being swapped around to different uh, cinemas, including Cinemark. Um, though apparently, you know, Cinemark is is not only going to Universal but other co- uh, companies as well. Uh, apparently, Universal is offering The Crudes 2 and another Bloomhouse film, Freaky, on a 28 and 21 day theatrical window before moving to PVOD. Uh, we'll see if Cinemark ends up taking this deal.
Now, while New York is staying closed with regard to movie theaters, we do have some other markets domestically opening up. Uh, specifically, North Carolina, Michigan, San Francisco, Santa Barbara, and Sacramento are all being allowed to reopen. In, Ca- in California, apparently they are open up to 25% capacity, up to a maximum of 100 people, when no concessions can be sold, which seems kind of rough for movie theaters who make most of their margin on popcorn and drinks. On the flip side, however, Quebec in Canada is closing movie theaters for the month of October uh, due to rising case counts, uh, which will affect domestic numbers. Now, with theaters starting to close, uh, you know, and because of the lack of films coming out, uh, Warner decided that their awards contender for this year, Dennis Villanueva's sci-fi adaptation of the novel Dune, uh, is moving from December 18th to October 1st, 2021. Um, This is a similar date to Blade Runner 2049, Villanueva's last uh, sci-fi adaptation film, which came out in October 6th, 2017. Now, while I was writing this episode, I initially had something here to say it would be competing against Warner Brothers' uh, The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves and starring Robert Pattinson, but little breaking news as I write this, uh, that film, due to production delays, you know, we, we heard about Matt, uh, Robert Pattinson catching COVID, is moving from October 1st, 2021 to March 4th, 2022, so no competition there. Uh, this does also lead to another number of other movie changes around the DC movie universe, which I won't detail here, but we also are seeing that The Matrix is moving up from 2022 to Christmas weekend 2021. No news has been given out that Wonder Woman 1984, another Warner film, is planning on moving anytime soon. Anyway, back to Dune. Uh, the October date makes sense since you know this definitely was awards potential for this film. Uh, instead of and I think given the hefty price point on this, instead of having it in February early next year, where we're still uncertain what the status of the movie theater industry will be at that point, um, I think Warner and Legendary didn't want to risk theaters not being recovered by then, and so they're just pushing their two hundred million dollar investment uh, to October um, to avoid weak exhibition early next year. So. Uh, that's just kind of, you know, the what the biggest of the, you know, after movie theaters started closing down as a result of No Time to Die leaving, uh, it's fired off another set of uh, films moving off the release calendar or simply being picked up and moving to streaming. Um, for example, STX moved their disaster action thriller Greenland to a PVOD release sometime this quarter um, and will be coming to HBO Max in early 2021. Apparently, the deal for the HBO Max was about 20 to 30 million USD. Uh, uh, Greenland has made about 18 million in international markets already, and with a 34 million production budget, it's looking to break even for this one for the producers. Uh, Warner, or at least the distributors, uh, Warner Brothers' adaptation of Roald Dahl book *The Witches*, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by him, uh, Guillermo del Toro, and Kenya Barris, starring Anne Hathaway, Octavia Spencer, among others, was originally planned to come out. Uh, actually. Uh, I think it was this month, either this month or last month. It was, it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was planning to come out sometime in October, but instead they're actually going to be moving, moving it to an HBO Max premiere on October 22nd. Uh, in addition, in addition to the uh, HBO Max premiere, Warner Brothers will be releasing the film in select international markets October 28th around Halloween. Makes sense, uh, given that HBO Max isn't in all markets yet, and given the subject matter. 
Uh, we'll talk about another witchy movie later on in the film, in, the, in this episode. Uh, Regina King's One Night in Miami out of the Venice International Film Festival and runner-ups for People's Choice Award at the, the Toronto International Film Festival got picked up by Amazon and will have a Christmas Day limited release before premiering wide on Prime, uh, sorry, premiering on Prime January 15th, 2021. The limited release is probably for awards consideration since it's one of the favorites alongside Nomadland uh, and January 15th release day ties well with the Martin Luther King holiday here in the U.S. given the subject matter of the film being of four historical black figures. Uh, Amazon also picked up the Borat sequel, or more accurately, the <clears throat> Borat subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious, prodigious bribe, bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit One Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Uh, this one should be interesting because it's coming out on Amazon Prime on October 23rd, uh, potentially with a limited theatrical one given the way Amazon does things, uh, which given the proximity to the, Uni- the U.S. presidential elections, reportedly will have many political implications since Vice President Mike Prince and Trump advisor Rudy Giuliani appear in the film as themselves, um, given the nature of the way Borat is filmed. Uh, not the film I was expecting to come out of 2020, but let's be real, it probably shouldn't surprise at this point, and it's probably the film we deserve at this point. Uh, remember, go out and vote. Uh, also, this one came out a while ago, but there was a report that the third Bill & Ted movie made MGM uh, as a distributor $32 million on VOD and $3.3 in gross. Uh, domestic uh, theatrical release. Now, between MGM buying the domestic distribution for under $4 million and spending $15 million to market it, if they keep 80% of that VOD and 70% of the theatrical, they're sitting at about mm, $26.6 million US so far, which is a net profit uh, overall for MGM, so good on them. Um, now, with all the news of the domestic box office getting choked out slowly as more films are delayed and theaters closed down, let's now turn to the top five films of the week. So, in first place, Tenet has 2.7 million, uh, dropping 21% in 2,722 theaters per theater average of $992. The first weekend, it's dropped below the $1,000 per theater average mark. Uh, We'll see what theater counts look like next week after Regal closes its operations. After this fifth or sixth weekend, depending on how you count it, uh, Tenet has grossed just over $45 million uh, domestically. We're looking at about another $5 million in my estimation before uh, it hits home media later this quarter, um, so about $50 million total as I noted last week. Uh, internationally, Tenet has hit $307 million, with 11.5 this weekend coming from international markets. Uh, in China, it's more or less off the charts, making about $400,000, dropping 74% as new domestic films take the screen. Again, more on China later. Uh, in Japan, it topped the box office again, uh, dropping only 18% uh, for about $15 million cumulatively in Japan. Uh, in second place, we have a bit of a surprise. Uh, the 1993 fantasy comedy film from Disney, Hocus Pocus, uh, was re-released and made $1.9 million in 2,570 theaters per theater average of $749. I guess with it being ho- October, aka Halloween month, a film about witches makes sense. Uh, see the earlier note about uh, HBO Max and, and the witches. Uh, similarly, uh, Warner's 1988 film Beetlejuice premiered in 346 theaters uh, to $300,000 for a per theater average of $864. Uh, and in last week's oldie, uh, Star Wars Episode Five for its 40th anniversary continued to this weekend, uh, making $335,000 in 1675 theaters per theater average of about $200. 
In third place, we have The New Mutants in its sixth week, making just over $1 million, dropping 11% from last week in 2,154 theaters for a theater average of $484. Notably, this is the second film after Tennis to release in this post-COVID world domestically to cross the $20 million mark. So progress milestones? Uh, like I said last week, probably a couple million more left in the tank for this one. In fourth place, we have Unhinged, week eight, making $847,000, dropping 12% in 2023 theaters, per theater average of 419. And in fifth place, we have Infidel in the third week, rounding out the top five with $460,000 in 1792 theaters, dropping a steep 40%, comparatively speaking so, uh, for per theater average of $257. Uh, it's pretty rough out there for indie adult films such as Kajillionaire from Focus Features or The Last Sith from Sony, making less than $150,000 each and dropping about you know 40 to 50 percent week over week in their second weeks. Um, now, cost of advertising is low, and you know without much competition aside from Tenet, uh, you will see uh, continue to see a trickle of independent films out there. Uh, most of them too small to really mention. Uh, one I do want to call out though is this coming weekend. Uh, there's a film from Sony called Yellow. Rose. Uh, this one comes out as part of Filipino American Heritage Month. Stars Broadway star Eva Noblezada from Hades Town, as well as Disney icon Leia Salonga, uh, the singing voice of Mulan and Jasmine, uh, in the story of a teenage Filipina American country singer in Texas who finds out that she's an undocumented immigrant. Um, I actually have seen this film at a film festival last year. I uh, hope it does really well. It's a really, really great movie. If you feel comfortable going to theaters, uh, definitely recommend checking this one out. Anyway, total box office for the weekend is 9.1 million. Uh, the equivalent last weekend last year made 150 million, uh, with the auspicious start of Joaquin Phoenix's lead Joker making 96 million dollars gross domestically. So that's where the bo- domestic box office is. Now, one limited release, you know, this weekend was from Walgo USA, uh, which released The Legend of Deification, a Chinese animated film uh, in 55 theaters, not including obviously LA or New York, uh, to $96,000, uh, a per theater average of about $1,750, uh, which is the highest of the weekend that I could find, uh, which actually brings us nicely to the China portion of this podcast, uh, which I have promised a couple times. So, this past weekend, China basically has returned to pre-pandemic numbers. It made 260,000 million US dollars this weekend, which is basically, and this is the three-day numbers, uh, basically the same numbers, if not slightly more, than what it made this time last year. So uh, this basically puts China on pace to be the top grossing market of the year. And as we noted last week, that would be the first time in history they have done so. Uh, on Thursday, the national holiday, October 1st, uh, the Chinese box office grossed 107 million US dollars, uh, the second largest national day box office in history. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this is partially helped by the Mid-Autumn Festival. I uh, hope you got your mooncakes if you partake. Um, this is also the highest grossing box office day for China of the year, um, though I haven't seen any numbers. There may have been some numbers. I haven't dug, dug into too deeply on if something later this weekend um, has made more. But again, China is definitely on an upper trend here. And this is all with only having 75% of seats available in movie theaters at this point. So let's go into the top five, but this time for China. Uh, first up, we have the national anthology, nationalist anthology, My People, My Homeland, made 97.5 million over three days, or if you extend to the four-day weekend, or 
the long weekend, uh, the the first through the fourth, um, you get one hundred and fifty eight million dollars total. Uh, this is similar uh, to a two thousand nineteen film, uh, you know, my my people, my country. Basically, you know, similar similar style. Um, my people, my country. Uh, the film from last year, um, you know, made eight the eighth highest grossing film of all time in China, making four hundred forty six million total. Mao Yan, uh, the Chinese you know box office platform, predicts that this new film, My People, My Homeland, will match, if not exceed that, at four hundred forty nine million U S dollars. Uh, this opening weekend of one hundred fifty eight million U S D uh, is almost double the eight eighty four million uh, a few weeks back that the eight hundred made in August. Uh, let's see. In second place, we have the Legends of Deification, made eighty two point nine millions in China over three days, um, despite only making ninety six k here in the U S. Um, and you know that film sails the cinematic universe with last year's animated hit Neza. It actually again broke the Chinese record for highest single day animated sales on that day. That was the highest grossing uh, film of uh, or box office day of the year to date uh, for the year. Uh, Marian suggests a two hundred twenty two million dollar gross for Legends of the Vacation. Uh, Neza is the second highest grossing film uh, from China of all time, uh, 720 million US dollars. So to repeat that performance would be pretty surprising, um, especially considering that this film has an 8.5 on Maoyan versus Neza having a 9.6. Uh, the four day total sits at 152 million US dollars. Uh, in third place, we had the film that released uh, last weekend, Leap, uh, telling the tale of the Chinese uh, women's volleyball team, uh, made 19.1 million. U.S. dollars uh, in the second weekend, total of sixty-seven point one million. A bit of a drop off, but you know it recovered uh, later on in the weekend compared to the earlier on. Um, that's partly because the fourth place film, the Jackie Chan-led Stanley Tong-directed film uh, Vanguard, made twenty-four point seven million opening on September thirtieth. Um, over the three day, it made seven point seven million dollars. Um, it's a bit of a flop considering the pedigree behind it. I think you know early on it seemed promising, but as it became apparent, it wasn't going to do as well, uh, you know, Leap kind of took over the screens it had been in. And then finally, in fifth place, we have a film called Coffee or Tea. It's a slapstick comedy about an e-commerce business appropriately from Alibaba Pictures, made $4 million only on a single day, October 4th, um, because that's when it premiered. Uh, good for fifth place on this long weekend. So that's kind of where the Chinese box office is. Um, definitely going to be interesting to see how, where their total ends up for the entire year um, and what other films you know we have to see out of China for the next couple of weeks. Uh, now, checking in on Disney's Mulan, it's actually coming to VOD after its Disney Plus Premier Access release as well as the Chinese release um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, on VOD, it's coming at the inflated $30 per rental price, uh, which is high compared to the normal $20 VOD rental rate. Um, I guess this is in order to keep things quote-unquote fair uh, with the Disney Plus Premier Access price. Um, I hope at the very least Disney is getting good information here to see that they should not repeat this sort of practice in the future. Uh, it seems it seems that this is really a test to see if the double paywall of you know $30 Premier Access plus the $7 monthly Disney Plus fee is what was keeping it from being successful. I don't really think so. Um, so, you know, we'll see what, what Disney takes away from it. Uh, you know, that said, Disney is, according to one analyst, on track to hit 155 million global subscribers by 2024. So uh, that's the house of the mouse for you.
Anyway, to end the slow on some slightly less late late stage capitalist news, out of Japan, uh, the anime film Violet Evergarden has grossed about 10.4 million US dollars or just over 1 billion yen over the past three weeks since its premiere, and it has had the highest per theater average of any film in the time period. So uh, I still need to watch the Violet Evergarden movie. I believe it's on Netflix if you want to check it out. Uh, and then speaking of uh, checking things out, the Neon Genesis Evangelion film 3.0 plus 1.0 Thrice Upon a Time um, got delayed yet again, but G-Kids Entertainment in the States picked up the Blu-ray and digital rights for the for the entire uh, ser- TV series, um, separate from the Netflix streaming rights. Uh, so, you know, for the first time ever, you can get a physical copy uh, for Evangelion here in the States. Look forward to that in 2021. And with that, that is the end of the box office. This episode of the Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, Suit me ideas for what I should cover next week uh, via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. Uh, If you could leave a review of your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes off. <laughs>